So one of the things that some people started discovering here, it was mixing cold brew with horchata. I'll tell you, it's fantastic. Horchata, when I grew in Mexico, mm. it was a rice drink. A dry, uh, rice drink with cinnamon. On some places, they added a little bit of condensed milk. So it was just this very rich white drink that usually you have at taquerias. And I'll tell you, it's a really, really delicious thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I am of Mexican descent. I was born in Mexico City traveled around on my 20s, then relocated to the United States on my 30s, exactly on my, uh, one month after my 30th birthday. And I have been living here since then. I have uh, one third of my life. I'm 45 years old. So thank you so much, Hector, for joining us for the Geopats podcast coffee show. So we're going to be talking about coffee in a few different locations today, it sounds mm -hmm. like. Is that right? That is correct. What are you drinking right now? Oh, okay. So what I did just a couple of minutes ago, I am trying some new beans from a producer over here in the city of Austin. Uh, these are beans from Central, Central America. It's from their farm. I met them through a, um, a mutual friend of mine. Her name is Nora. And she told me, you need to try their beans. So, okay. I've got a, a bag this weekend. I managed to chat with them. It, this is a dark roast. Now, they don't go super dark. They told me that they ro toasted these for about 12 minutes, and I'm feeling the quality of this. Uh, what I did with these ones, I I have been trying to get up my coffee game. So this was just French press, and with the whole thing, with the scale that, okay, get your certain uh, 30 grams of, of ground in there, then... Uh, then add some water, let it bloom, then four minutes steeping, and I'm feeling it. This is a really nice, smooth coffee. It has a little bit of some cherry notes that I'm liking a lot, and it's a good way to wake up. Wow. Okay, so you are using the scale when mm -hmm. you're making your coffee. Yeah. I'm very impressed. I've I've gotten geeky with coffee, but that is that is the the next level that I need to go to. That sounds amazing. Can you taste the difference when you weigh versus not weigh your your coffee making? I would say yes, because I have been making kind of awful coffee. I was the kind that, okay, let's fill the grinder as much as you can, throw everything on the coffee, on the French press, put it to steep 10 minutes, and yeah, that's okay, right? But uh, with this new process, I'm very, very satisfied. I'm enjoying it a lot. And uh, I'll tell you that this didn't start naturally. It, it, and you gave a little bit of a hint earlier. This started after a trip to Italy. And I have a little bit of a very curious relationship with coffee, I will say. Italy does that. And we will get to Italy. But I have one more question for you. Where are your beans from? Oh, the name of the company, it's called Talisman Coffee. And they are a farm from Nicaragua. And yeah, one of them from the family was there at the at the market, and I had the chance to chat a little bit with him in Spanish and see, oh, okay, where you get your beans, donde encontraste, que tanto los tuestas y todo lo demás. It was a really nice chat with them, and I may be using later the coffee grounds to make something else. But when did you really know that you loved coffee, like for the taste of coffee? When did that hit you? Italy, honestly. Okay, and that was this year. Mm -hmm. Where did you go in Italy? So I decided to stay in the central area. I traveled from Austin, 
True uh, Bologna, uh, True Lufthansa. And it was uh, a really, really nice fare. It was only $550 round trip. I'm mm-hmm. I'm very happy with that. Wow. Shout out to mm-hmm. Scott's Cheap Flights because that's where I got the, the fare. And I stayed uh, two days in Bologna, then went to Florence for four days, three days in Cinque Terre, Two days in Alba. I went there mainly for a for a truffle festival. It was fancy and decadent and really, really good. Then spent one day in Parma, just traveling all the all the delicious foods that they had there: the ham, the cheese, balsamic, the lambrusco. And then just last minute, a friend of mine enabled me and I decided to jump to Spain for three days just to watch a band that I like a lot and also have as much cafe con leche as I could there. Okay, that's a lot of locations. So let's focus on the coffees, not so much exactly the locations. Uh-huh. How far into the trip did the coffee hit you like very strong and you said, oh, this this is amazing? I would say that the day that it hit me, it was Florence on the second day. What was the coffee that you drank that did that? So I went to a small bistro in the morning. I got accustomed to the tradition of, okay, you just get some kind of pastry in the morning with coffee. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the place that I went, the woman behind the bar, the barista, she heard me and then said, I hear that you're from Mexico. I tried to speak in, in Italian badly. And she heard mostly my Spanish said, oh, sure, I'm from Mexico. And she said, oh, I'm from Italy, but I'm living in an area where there are a lot of people from the Dominican Republic. So I'm pretty much speak the, uh, the language very well. If I remember correctly, her name was Monica. We started chatting. Kind of, It was a slow morning, so I think that she was bored and she just wanted somebody to talk to. And she started telling me, hey, so uh, how do you like your coffee? I said, oh, I've been going with espresso, just uh, all these stands. And then she, tells, she told me, oh, that's great that you're here. We got these new beans. The These are from the Dominican Republic. And I think you like it. I said like, oh, okay. Well, let's give it a try. Let's see how it is. I had some espressos before. And that one, she gave me a little bit of a different appreciation. She said, well, usually they put sugar over here. I have had it just straight all the time. She said, I recommend you just add about uh, one third of the packet and just... Uh, that will be more than enough, especially for this one. And I tried it and it really changed how I initially saw that espresso that everyone was having, that that uh, five seconds, almost looked like they took five minutes to have coffee and then on with the day. That really impressed me. I have to say that Monica changed my appreciation for coffee. So was it the interaction, the coffee or both? Because it sounds like it's a full experience, not just the beverage. I think that she gave me something that I haven't considered. I would say that I was just copying what everybody else was doing, kind of trying to understand, okay, well, you come here, you use the few phrases that you learn from that Italian podcast, un espresso, por favore, and go with that. And then just pay one euro at the end. But she helped me understand a little bit how the process works, especially for people in Italy, what it was appreciated or how uh, how it was for everyone. And then also to make things even better, she also had this pastry that was lovely. It was, I think, something like a grandma, a grandma cake with pine nuts. Oh, it, it was just perfect going one another. And 
After that, I said, hey, can you also hit me with a cappuccino? And she said, I hope that this is the best cappuccino that you will have. And I said, okay. <laughs> and what did you think of the cappuccino? It was really good, honestly. Let me see. Was that the best cappuccino that I ever had? Hmm. Now I'm, now that's, that's a hard one. That's, that's a hard call. I will give her that. That was a really good cappuccino. I have to tell you that I was actually in Italy earlier this year as well. And it's the first time I had been for over, I want to say 15 years is the last time I was there. Mm -hmm. My family's actually from Italy. Oh, okay. The few times that I was there before that, I wasn't into coffee yet. Mm. And I forgot that when we booked this trip. Mm -hmm. And so the first few coffees, I was so blown away. And I kept thinking, I don't get it. I don't remember the coffee being this good. Mm -hmm. And then I remembered that it was a few months after I left Italy last time is when I started to like coffee. Mm. So I completely missed it the other times. But <laughs> I was absolutely blown away mm -hmm. by the coffee this time. So I'm excited that you had the same experience. I'll be honest, I started just talking about coffee and especially some of the photos that I was taking and sharing with some of my friends on Instagram. And almost down to the second, I start getting all this publicity for, hey, why don't you get one of these La Mazorca on, on, on your kitchen? You click on it like, it's $5,000. You're like, not right now, but good try. <laughs> So did you stick with espresso most of the way through your trip in Italy or did you experiment with different drinks? So I tried to see what else did they have. My mornings was pretty much what they did in Italy, that have a, an espresso, have a pastry, here are two euros, go on with your day. And I have to say that was a good way to continue as a good fuel for the day. But around noon, I try again and I needed a second espresso. It, it was almost like drinking water there. That to me was kind of, kind of amusing. I went to a couple of places and I said, I started just exploring what they had on the menu. And sometimes it was trying to almost communicate, okay, give me the third one down from the menu and see what is that. Some of them were interesting. A friend of mine, Paul, he's a world, world traveler. He's from Australia. He introduced me to flat whites and I tried to see if somebody heard about it. Only until I think that in Alba, I was able to find somebody that heard of a flat white and they said, oh, okay, let me try it. And that was good. I've heard that the food culture, and I haven't been to Austin, Texas, but mm -hmm. I've heard that the food culture is amazing. Mm -hmm. So I'm very curious how you would compare the coffee that you're having in Austin with the coffee that you had in Italy. What would you say are the biggest differences? One thing that I have to say that in Austin, Texas, they really try to know where the beans are coming from. That's an important thing. It's, uh, I would say that it's one of the biggest things that they pride themselves. And if they want to go the extra mile, some places decide to say, well, we are roasting in house or we are wood roasting and we're using this type of wood. And I hope that that comes true on the, uh, on the bean or they decide to see what other kind of things ca they can make it to, they can do to make it unique. I would say I'm thinking about a couple of places that I frequent over here near to where I am. It's one coffee shop that I like a lot. It's called Epoch. It started as just like a small school hangout close to the university, the University of Texas in Austin. It's what it was, the important thing I would say in the city for a long time. And then 
uh, I think tech companies started moving here and everybody started moving here with them. And that's how it became so popular. And at the same time, I think that also that pushed a little bit the innovation and uh, also a lot of the things that are different uh, on the city. Before it was kind of quirky. It was a little bit like, hey, so that's that hippie uncle that you have in the South. That's Austin. Now it's a hippie uncle that also knows a lot of computers or some other technologies. It's it's kind of amusing. So, okay. So the biggest difference is that they're more explicit on where the beans are from. I would say that's it. It must taste different too. The taste goes a lot on, especially how things are presented. Sometimes they do a couple of things that are interesting. Have you heard about uh, something called horchata? It's a drink from Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that some people started discovering here, it was mixing cold brew with horchata. I'll tell you, it's fantastic. Horchata, when I grew in Mexico, huh. it was a rice drink. A dry, uh, rice drink with cinnamon. and It's rice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on some places, they added a little bit of condensed milk. So it was just this very rich white drink that usually you have at taquerias. And I'll tell you, it's a really, really delicious thing. I would say that the closest thing that you have, it's pretty much rice milk. It's a rice milk with a little bit of cinnamon and Mexican sugar. I had it growing up in New York. So I, yeah, I grew in summers, we would have it. We had the mix that you would mm-hmm. add water to. Yes. Uh, it's probably not as good as the fresh stuff, but I mm-hmm. could, I can see that. I can taste that flavor with cold brew. That sounds really good. Mm-hmm. And usually it's about half and half of that. I'm trying to remember what they call it, the midnight or something like that. But yeah, that's something that it's very popular here. And especially because it's so hot in Texas, not everybody wants to have a hot coffee in the morning or just in the, uh, the midday. Cold brew or some, some other things. That's something that it's very popular here. Did you know in the 20th century, people used to think that smoking is good for health? Did you know that coffee culture started in the Middle East as opposed to the West? The per capita consumption of ice cream in the US is 23 liters every year. And it's possible to 3D print a pizza as demonstrated by NASA in 2013. You could easily Google these, but you wouldn't because you're lazy. Welcome to Writer and Geek Show, and we are your hosts, Vishnu and Shankar. Every week, we bring you the most interesting yet Googleable facts to empower you by making you knowledgeable about things you would never research on. You can listen to us on your favorite podcasting app, or you can go to our website, writerandgeek.com. Hi, I'm Summer. Hey, and I'm Stephanie. And we are the Creatively Complicated Podcast. That's right. Every week we dive into the messiness of our creativity. Well, Summer, isn't it really just creative therapy for us? Yeah, it kind of is. But like we said, creativity is complicated. It sure is. We talk about consistency, process, brain frenzy, and all that stuff at creativelycomplicated.libson.com. Well, let's let's go a little for a little south of where you are. Then, um, mm-hmm. how would you compare the coffee you had in Mexico to the stuff in Texas and in Italy? And I know I'm comparing country, country, city, mm-hmm. but let's do it anyway. I would say that in Mexico, I had 
the some coffee that it was traditionally good i would say that it was seen as popular but compared to some of the other cities it was not as good the thing especially the the coffee experience that i remember a lot especially when i was partying with some friends we tried to go to one of these places called el jarocho uh, el jarocho is a denomination that would you give to some people that it is from veracruz and veracruz it's the state that we have most associated with coffee production in mexico so it was almost saying like, hey, somebody from that town is giving you coffee, so give it a try. I would say that the, the beans were over-roasted now with this kind of uh, looking back. And it was coffee just pretty much dark and really, really bitter. And it was very traditional, you know, adding some kind of sweetener just to balance that uh, that strength. And I would say... I don't think I had really good coffee, especially from that producer. And not even the one that I was making on on my coffee pot on my uh, university years. I would say that I had coffee that was kind of perfunctory. It was just for having it, just to, to keep me awake, but it was not good. And I'm kind of curious because I'm sure that there are good baristas, good producers in Mexico. And with this new kind of recognition of how you can produce coffee on a more professional way i want to see what they are doing with with product from my country but yeah the coffee that i grew in mexico and eh, not good <laughs> do you know what this is this is interesting that you're saying this because i've had some amazing beans from from mexico mm-hmm. but in california and um, and in arizona i've mm-hmm. had amazing beans from mexico but to go to a different country, I lived in Colombia for a short time, and I thought, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to have the best coffee of my life. But it wasn't. It was a lot of packets of, of blended coffee mm-hmm. and a lot of chain coffee that wasn't really good that I had to use a lot of milk with. Mm-hmm. And I researched it because I'm like, what's happening? There's so many good beans from Colombia. Where are they going? Apparently, they exported most of the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? <laughs> it, was, it was the first time I encountered that, and I was really floored by that. So maybe that's happening in Mexico, too? I don't know. What I especially have noticed, and let me nerd out a little bit something else that I got a lot into, and this is chocolate, namely cacao beans. At certain moment, I wanted to produce chocolate bars with 100% Mexican cacao because I started seeing that nobody was making that. Nobody was making chocolate with 100% Mexican cacao. And I started chatting with people and they told me, well, the quality of the beans that you get from Mexico, it's not good. And you, uh, you start researching a little bit more closely most of the cacao beans were being sold to the big uh, companies. We're talking about Mars or, or Nestle to you to be used that way. And the small producers didn't have the knowledge or the experience. So what they did, did was just roasting the beans until they were just completely dark. They didn't, they didn't have the, the tools or the idea of how to do the process differently. They have been doing it the same way that it was. It, it was bad just uh, by design, but I think that then there was another 
people coming in trying to see, oh, can we, de- can we do this differently? And people that, especially from Mexico, are coming back also to some of these coffee producers and saying, hey, just get me the grains and I'll do the roasting. Let's not, let's skip that part. And for them, it's better. They say like, okay, one less step. And they are able to control better how they want to do that. So that's, that's the next part that happens a lot that initially, I mean, they sell the product as, as best as they understand. But somebody from, uh, from their own people, they, they, they come by and say, we can do better. We can help you have a better quality and maybe even get a little bit more money from your beans. And hopefully you will be better remunerated in the long term. Well, it makes sense if people specialize in one thing versus trying to do all of it. That makes sense that that would be each step would be better quality. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I never really thought about this. Have you thought about opening up a coffee shop or a roastery or something? Because it feels like you've really dived deep into all of this. <laughs> I'm diagnosed as ADHD. And uh, thankfully, I'm a little bit on the lower spectrum. When I chatted with the doctor, he said, okay, what are you doing to control this? I said, well, I do a lot of lists. I try to stay on target. I try to silence my phone as much as possible. To do. I said, okay. You seem to be managing well on your own, but you know how things are. Try to just not do way too much at the same time. And that started my personal rule that it is only four outside projects from work every semester. Why? I know myself. So I try to just say, okay, this semester I'm only trying to do as hobbies, this, 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 and that. And that's it. Don't try to do over more. And if you have an idea, write it down on the, on your, on your table, uh, write it down on your pad and then analyze it at the end of the semester to see, do you want to explore this the next semester? Okay. I'll say this. I like beans. I'm having fun with these, but starting a business like this, that's, that's a big task, especially because, yeah, there are so many coffee shops over here in Austin. I would, I would be more interested in maybe, chatting with some of these roasters and saying, well, what are you doing? And what can I do to maybe help improve or just see how we can experiment? That would be something more more feasible than instead of opening a coffee shop. Also, yeah, that would be too much trouble. <laughs> making sounds while you were um, talking about the ADHD. I haven't been diagnosed, but I've mm-hmm. Very recently read the book Faster Than Normal mm-hmm. by Peter Shankman, mm. and I I laughed and cried the whole way through because I didn't realize how much my personality fit someone mm-hmm. that has ADHD, and I was like, oh, this could explain a lot. Oh, I'll tell you this. I mean, to me, it was, it started this, uh, uh, let's see, around March, April, a friend of mine, she got diagnosed. And she posted one of these online webs, uh, online quizzes that had 20 questions and see uh, this fit. I had 15 of those saying yes. And I was like, okay, this may be a little bit too much. And instead of trying to bury, bury the whole thing, I said, okay, let's see if, let's see if I'm diagnosed. If I'm diagnosed and at the same time, there's something that I can do to improve this situation. I want to learn it. I want to know how to better manage this. It's like any other kind of situation. It's 
If you know that you have it and they can give you the tips, what works, what's something you never heard to make it feasible, do it. And thankfully, I mean, they mentioned you have it very low. You are self-managing. You do these things. And if you at one moment you're experiencing these other kind of uh, symptoms, come talk to me and we will explore if you need medication. That's something that they mentioned. So I would say that a lot of people, especially with the kind of lives that we have, sometimes we are so prone to distractions that sometimes we tend to see, okay, is it really ADHD or is it just that... I have a hundred notifications on the phone and it's better to know than instead of thinking, well, I don't know, what do I have? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the reason why I liked that book is because he wasn't approaching as it is, this is what's wrong with you. Here's a drug. He was approaching it like, this is how your brain works. It's not a bad thing, but you need to know how to handle it. And so he gave a lot of tips and he actually has a weekly podcast too. Also, he talked about the difference between how it shows up in men and women. And I think as a kid, I was like very internally fast, but I wasn't that physically fidgety kid. So I think that just really went past a lot of people. I don't, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, but here's here's my point in, in connecting about ADHD is I know a lot of people who are obsessed with coffee who have ADHD. Do you think that coffee kind of helps us clear our minds during all of this super fast thinking? Interesting. That's something that I've never thought about. I can ask my friends that have been diagnosed and say, so do you like coffee? How do you feel about coffee? And then go from there because that's an interesting thing. I never thought as coffee as an I can see it as an enhancer. Because I drink it for the taste, but I have to admit, I really love the, the calmness that I get when I drink coffee. Hmm. And I wonder if every, I wonder now, like realizing how fast my brain really works and how different, mm -hmm. quote unquote, different I am. I wonder if everybody has that. I know people get energy from coffee, but I really, really like slow down, peaceful, happy. I can tolerate anything with a cup of coffee in my hand. Thinking a little bit more about it, about the ritual, about how things are. Honestly, I woke up uh, about maybe an hour ago and initially was, okay, let's try to get center. Let's try to see. I can see that the process of making coffee about the whole thing, to me, it was just put the coffee pot and set it automatically. I I even got to the point of getting an electric uh, coffee pot, just well, an electric uh, water pot, just to not have to to watch over a pot boiling or just okay, press one button and then do something else. Then, yeah, I can see how the ritual, the steps, and everything can be something that can be soothing for some people, and then having that kind of result, it's almost kind of a meditation, depending on how you make your coffee. It's okay. Or put your pot, put whatever you have. And there you go. To me, it's fascinating and kind of curious, especially how it got introduced and everything. That's okay. That's another thing that I nerd out about. It's origins of food and how they travel. I, I like to understand how those migrations happen, how an ingredient that is so essential in one culture, how it arrived there. Like everybody associates tomatoes right now with Italy, but they didn't come from there. They came from the Americas and arrived there after so much migrations. And to this day, if you think tomatoes, you think Italian food, but how did that happen? Well, 
there is a lot of story behind that. <laughs> Right, right. Also, with with peppers in uh, in Korean food, they they have a gochujang. Yeah, is the pepper paste, and that doesn't come from Korea. That came from was it South America? I think. Uh, if I remember correctly, Spain had a lot of colonies in Southeast Asia, and then that extended all the way. There are a couple of books that I like especially about that. There is one in particularly from a, a food historian called Rachel Loudon. I'm potentially mispronouncing her last name, but she has a book that analyzes a lot. It's, I think that you can find it on paperback on, on Amazon. I can send you also the link about that one because it's one of the books that I really love reading how the food has been transported to different locations and how it has impacted the culture so much. I mean, exactly. I agree with you. And I think it's really, I think it really speaks to how borders, how like nature laughs at borders because we like food just crosses so many boundaries and people can't really be, can't really stay prejudiced about other people when there's food involved. There's just all, all boundaries just kind of fall away <laughs> when the food's involved. Exactly. It's one of these big unifiers. You have this kind of new product and initially it's, uh, it's not well understood and you think, okay, what's next? What, uh, what, uh, how do you use it, uh, on other kind of, uh, on other different kind of ways? One particular example for me, it's corn. In Europe, it's seen mostly as feed for, uh, for the animals. But in Mexico, I mean, it has such a culture, but, it's because they never grasp some of the processes that we we do in in Latin American culture to transform it. When they tried it, they just uh, thought, "Oh well, it's okay and everything." And well, some of them even got Lyme disease because it, it they didn't have it f properly processed. So it got misunderstood. While other in, uh, other ingredients like cacao, initially they tried the drink, they said it's okay, but it took, uh, it needed a little bit uh, different kind of influence, adding sugar, then the mass access to to sugar that made it a little bit easier to process and market. And then from then it took off to what is con considered uh, the chocolate bar or the candy bars that you see everywhere. I think this stuff is so fascinating. In 2020, do you have any coffee plans or travel plans? I am going to Thailand next year, uh, end of March. The start of April. I'm going there for 18 days. I want to travel some of, some of the farms that are in the area. I want to not exactly rough it, but I want to see some of the uh, these locations, cacao locations. I want to find some of the, these other plantations where they have some of these products as natural as possible and see what they are doing with them there. I'm fascinated about also understand how in some ways the the way that they drink coffee how did that happen i mean most of the people have associated the thai coffee the one with this heavy milk that makes it extremely sweet but at the same time very palatable how did that came to be i, I want to do a little bit more history research on that i'm arriving to bangkok i'm living from houston i'll try to spend some days in Lanta, some in chiang mai and then ending in in bangkok back in bangkok Chiang Mai has an amazing coffee culture. Mm. Amazing. I could send you recommendations, but I kind of think you might have more fun just exploring on your own. I'm taking any kind of recommendations. I'm trying to find out what I want to do because I see everywhere sometimes and they say, oh, go to the shops and go this and that. Like, I'm like, 
that's not my thing. I want to to do a little bit of getting lost, then also getting terribly scared about what am I doing? Am I an idiot? No, you're doing this. Go ahead. <laughs> Thailand is is such a good place to get lost and find wonderful things. And Chiang Mai is so peaceful and beautiful and lovely and and so easy to get around. You're you're gonna have amazing time in Thailand. And if you want to talk coffee after you get back in like April or May or whatever, just let me know. We can do a follow-up episode. I would love that. I, w- I would love giving you an update about how far on down the, rabbit, the coffee rabbit hole have I gone. Exactly. If I... So remember the last time? Now I have a roasting operation for people. <laughs> I don't know how There you happened. go. There you go. That would be amazing. I've been wasting all of my time Standing at the back of your line Trying not to lose my mind When all I'll ever be is your sometime guy I've been waiting for my moment I've been howling at the moon I've been living with this torment Cause there's nothing else my heart can do Well, I've been wasting all of my time Standing at the back of your line Trying not to Down like the man I am You pull the string and make me dance I can't believe the shape you got me in All these thoughts could drive me mad Well, I've been wasting all of my time
just sometime. Yeah.